welcome to the Live Up Podcast, where we revisit the movies from our youth to see if they live up. Quick note on how this episode will go. We'll review, discuss, and score whether the movie in question lives up to us now as adults and whether it lives up to its intended audience, kids today. You could find us at Live Up Pod on all the socials. Please like us, leave a review, and subscribe to your platform of choice. And I am done with the admin. I'm Jess Latterman. And I'm Amanda Treat. On today's episode, our Halloween spooktacular continues with another film about ghosts battling it out with the living. But this time, the slimy pervert character is Bill Murray. Who are you going to call? It's Ghostbusters. I selected this movie and Jess, when I told you what I'd selected, you asked a very telling question. Are we going to review the first one or the second one? Because we're both a little too young to have caught the first Ghostbusters in all its glory. Our generation being slightly younger, our Ghostbusters movie is the second one with baby Oscar and that painting of Viggo the Carpathian and all that slime all over the place. Yeah, when I asked my brother, he's like, oh, it's the one with all the slime in the bathtub. And I'm like, no, 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 no. no. that's that's Ghostbusters too. <laughs> And now there's a third one that has the all-women crew of Ghostbusters. And there's a fourth one with Egon's granddaughter becoming a Ghostbuster. And they're making a fifth one that's coming out in 2024. So it's a quite franchise. the franchise here. But we are starting at the beginning and reviewing the 1984 version, which, depending on what we say here, might lead to a lot of incel hate mail on the internet. Anywho, Jess, what is your history with the first Ghostbusters movie? Yeah, so I was convinced I'd seen this a bunch of times and would just get the first and second one confused. I think upon rewatching, I think I had only seen this one maybe once, maybe twice. And and just like you, I kind of thought that I had seen it more, but it was just the second one that I had seen. There was a cartoon, and I should mention that Bill Murray was my favorite character as a kid, uh, as as it should be. So that's He's very sassy in this. Super sassy. Yeah, very sassy. I mean, so did you did you watch this at all? Was this your first viewing? No, I'd seen it, but uh, I don't know when. I don't know how many times. Probably only just once, but then like saw clips of it scattered around. I mean, so many of these scenes are iconic. You know, your Stay Puft Marshmallow Man storming the city. Like, that's a very iconic scene. So I feel like I've seen it a ton, but I think I've probably only watched this from start to finish once. Yeah, I think I, don't I know. just watched I it once. Yeah. Genuinely don't know. Yeah. This was not on regular rotation in either of our households. I thought it but was. The second one, <laughs> the second one we are familiar with. So, just. You may or may not have watched this for the first time all the way through, but do you want to remind us what the plot of the first Ghostbusters movie is? Yeah. So this is the origin story you probably forgot of what of the Ghostbusters franchise. And it's from a time when PG movies could make jokes about blowjobs, but we'll get to that. Uh, but it's essentially three nerds and a rando talk nonsense science while they chase ghosts all over New York City and then a demon of some kind talks prophecy and religious nonsense before turning into a giant marshmallow and the movie is also set in New York in the 80s when basically a music professor could afford a penthouse apartment on Central Park yes so that that, jumped out at me that is that was like one of my key takeaways from this movie I'm like oh my god like this is fiction (laughs) never mind the ghosts Never mind that they're like got supernatural prophecies. She has the nicest corner apartment on the 12th floor. And by she, we should remind viewers, we're talking about Dana, who's the character played by Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver, who's sort of the Ooh, love interest. Dana's awesome. She's, yeah. yeah, badass lady. We like her. But yeah, her apartment. Whoa. I think the setting of New York City is part of this movie. And I just wanted to touch on that for a bit. It's yet another movie that portrays the city as kind of a dump. You know, even when the Ghostbusters are looking for a place, they're able to find this like incredible loft slash old fireman uh, building for basically a song. The whole building. The whole building. And that just blows my mind. So it just sort of harkens back to this era. And I, I think they get New York City so right and it's so funny to me like there's a whole plot in here 
where there's a bureaucracy angle. And basically it's like, do you have a permit to, to like, you know, store ghosts? And then New York City basically self-destructs. And to me, that sort of tracks, that sort of makes sense. Like you don't have a permit, go away. So when I was reading up on like how this movie came to fruition, like this is all Dan Aykroyd's brainchild. Like he, he cited that his family all the way back to his great grandparents had huge interest in the occult had interest really? in like if they could have actually been ghostbusters his family would have done it because they were way <laughs> into that so like that percolated in his head like what if you could catch a ghost oh my god but he originally wrote the script and set it in this like fictitious future setting not quite planet earth and it was going to be john belushi as the main ghostbuster and totally different movie at the same time, they're all shooting Saturday Night Live. They're in New York. Yeah. They're doing all the rewrites at delis. And like, really, this movie is coming together in New York. And suddenly it was like, let's get rid of all this fantasy stuff, this futuristic, not planet Earth. Let's put this in New York City. And that's how it got set there. Because like, this is where they were working their day job at Saturday Night Live. Or a night job, I guess, if you work at Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and yeah, like, this is such a New York City movie. It's it really is. Like, New York so City is almost a character in the movie. And I know we're not going to talk about the second one, but that one, it's as a character in the second one. It's a character in the remakes. Like, and even in the remake from 2016, they sort of poke fun at the real estate joke from from the 80s um, in terms of what the Ghostbusters could afford in New York. So it's... the 2016 one was shot in Boston pretending to be New Get York. Out. They couldn't afford New York. Yeah, no, that's all my old like film buddies shot oh, that that's one. that's hilarious. Well, that also says something in and of itself. But and it's just there are so many funny lines in there that you got the texture of New York, like when the Marshmallow Man basically gets destroyed at the end and they're covered in the goo. I think there's a line about, I feel like the bottom of a taxi cab. And I laughed out loud at that because I was like, that is just really funny. It's just like getting That's the a texture very visceral of it. description. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. A question, because this happens a lot in this movie. Do New Yorkers, when something exciting is going on, do they just stand around and watch and then clap a lot know. at the end because these guys if there's a sinkhole and a bunch of guys fall into it along with a cop car that topples over onto them and then they slowly climb out of that is there a dramatic slow clap that just comes together naturally from everyone on the sidewalk just to remind listeners that is actually like a scene from this movie i'm not being facetious that happens that in this happens movie. in this movie that's funny i would love our new york listeners to to weigh in on that but i my impression being from there and live there for a while is that people would mostly be like I mean basically slimy goo and a ghost could come up through a crack and people would be like okay whatever you're in my way and not really give a shit I do want to call out for our listeners that Jess is deliberately wearing a Yankees t-shirt on this podcast I noticed I can't say anything about the Red Sox because season over this year but Yes, Jess is representing New York City to the best of her ability tonight. Yeah, and listeners, Amanda's from Boston. Uh, I, I, am. I am from New York. And um, last episode, I dressed like one of the characters, Adam from Beetlejuice. And I couldn't... Now I, she's dressing like New York. Exactly. So I decided <laughs> to wear a Yankee shirt to sort of go with the theme. Jess is just going to start dressing like every single episode. I can't wait to do Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> oh, Clarice. <laughs> so this movie is so iconic and like so permeated our childhoods even though we didn't see it this is one to me where the franchise has sort of run away from from the like not yeah. run away like it's lost its luster or run away that it's not true to the original but it there's a distance here from the original where the, the iterations yeah. since have sort of then become the memory in a way yes. versus the actual original last episode when we we did a Beetlejuice episode. Please, We like to plug previous episodes on our current we episodes. Do. Yeah. But one thing that came up with Beetlejuice is that some of the grit and some of the perviness, I'm going to say, of Beetlejuice was a little bit dumbed down by the fact that there was an animated children's show that was on Saturday mornings or after school or something. There was a cartoon version of that that was very much rated G. Same thing with Ghostbusters. Like, I definitely remember watching the cartoon version of this more than this movie. You know? And, I do, too. I think I did, and too. And Slimer the ghost lived in the firehouse with them and yeah. was, like, a friendly character. Like, 
I don't know, knocking things over in the kitchen or whatever he used to do. And we keep dancing around the Bill Murray character. And like, I don't remember if he was toned down for the cartoon. I remember him. Yes, he had to be. Because, I mean, he's a bit of a pervert. He's, he's not. I mean, we he, to me, he wasn't as big of a pervert as, let's say, Beetlejuice. And it's, cer- it's certainly dated in terms of that kind of like those character attributes. But I guess... My memory of him was just being really funny, like that deadpan, I'm like the slacker in class kind of attitude that the Bill Murray, Bill, Bill Murray's yeah. character has. I um, mean, he's he's Bill Murray in every single movie he absolutely, plays. Absolutely, same character. He's not a character actor. He always plays Bill Murray. But I like Bill Murray, and I think he's funny. I think, yeah, people love Bill Murray. And we should say, so Bill Murray is Dr. Peter Venkman. He, he is, that is his character name. He didn't put me off as much as, let's say, Beetlejuice did. Now we're going to get hate mail for this, but I, his non-PC and like gross and pervy and sort of a sexually aggressive comments didn't bother me as much. I, I don't know. Interesting. I think it would bother I, kids or even 20-somethings now. I think it would just be, yeah. it's not like over the line, but it's just sort of not said now. Like some of the things he says is like, he's just so aggressively, clearly when he's a professor and he wants to like impress the pretty grad student that he's bringing in for an experiment. So he's experimenting on two of his students and they're being paid $5 for their efforts, but he's clearly trying to pick up the blonde co-ed and he's torturing the male student with shocks, which is hilarious and absolutely rigging the whole experiment. Like they're not proving anything. He's really just trying to make the blonde go out on a date with him and that's how you're introduced to this character. And I'd forgotten all of that. You know, like his version on the show of the cartoon show where he's just, you know, the wisecracking one. Like he's meant to be the funny one. The other Ghostbusters around him are more of like the straight man personalities. Yeah. And he's supposed to be the funny one. But I was reading that, you know, Dan Aykroyd wrote this sh- the script and then Harold Ramis came in and helped him with the rewrites. So they've got a script here. They're not sure if Bill Murray read it or not. Like everything <laughs> that came amazing. out of his mouth was just him. Like, what am I doing the scene? Great. Okay. And then just saying whatever the hell he wanted. He ad libbed the whole thing. And like, it's Bill Murray to I the mean... max. Like he's very funny, but like, this is such 1984 humor where a lot of it would not fly today. You know, at one point he's in Dana's apartment so this is Sigourney Weaver and he's just like oh yeah I'm such you know like I'm my own biggest problem and she just turns to him and it's like we both have the same problem you like yes. that he is so aggressive and creepy like she's just like get the hell out of my apartment like I'm dealing with ghosts but you're suddenly the bigger problem because you're so aggressive like dude get out of here yeah and he so, claims he's like I'm in love with you it's like but it, and it's like cringy almost like the way he's trying so, so hard and yeah. you know oh, and, and even when he visits her later to like you know follow up on her case of the ghost and so for, for folks who don't remember basically there's a big part of the plot where you know the building she lives in is basically a giant like she's got a portal to like hell in her fridge (laughs) exactly she has a portal to hell in her fridge the portal to hell is in her refrigerator yeah and he's following up with her in the case on the case air quotes and and he's like well let's do it over dinner like he's being such a fucking creep about it but it's he's just so non-threatening to me that it's funny he's not groping he's not i'm not trying to make excuses for this kind of thing but if if a a guy would never say that and get away with it today i mean maybe they do and then they get in trouble but well yeah they're probably all in congress (laughs) there's something kind of harmless about it to me and he has and it's very funny and it's funny that you say that he ad-libs things this line is so kind of like gross and not kid-friendly but i laughed when sigourney weaver's character is basically possessed by the demon in her apartment gozar or not gozar she's like the the gatekeeper or something and so she's yeah, possessed she the gatekeeper and for some reason her possession like makes her horny too and bill murray is there to pick her up for their date which she like begrudgingly agreed to and she has this line that it's like i want you inside me like she's writhing on yeah. the bed and then his response to that he's like oh but i bet it's a little crowded in there is so funny that was a good line yeah yeah, no he's i mean he he is funny it's bill murray he's phenomenally talented comedic 
but says whatever the hell he wants. A lot of this movie struck me as like, it's very 1984. And a lot of the stuff yeah. coming out of his mouth is not the Orwell novel, to clarify. Um, <laughs> although some of it is. But yeah, no, he's just in a time, in a place, and a lot of it would not fly now. So It um, wouldn't, but you know, just to advocate for it a little bit, like I, he was my favorite character as a kid, and he kind of lived up to me. Like, yes, he does oh, these things that are like a little weird and gross, and I'm like rolling my eyes like, oh my god. But it's like, he's just so funny about it. It makes it okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I had forgotten because I think, again, the cartoon show kind of primed me to think that this character, he's the funny guy of the Ghostbusters, but also like he was a lot nicer on the cartoon show. So he's, you know, pulling his card tricks on the students at the beginning, but then they have to go investigate that ghost at the library. But they've got this like 60 year old librarian who's seen a ghost and she's in shock. And they reported it and he turns to her and says are you menstruating right now? And she's like 60. But I was just like, what? Like, I didn't watch this with my kids just for timing reasons. It's not that that would be cringy. I just don't even think that they find that humor funny. I don't even think, I just don't think that kids these days forget about like whether you're offended by it or anything. I just don't think it's funny to them. Yeah, I think a lot of these jokes wouldn't land at all for kids now. I know. I did find the whole thing just like weirdly non-threatening. And I, I sort of, had the same thing of like, well, at least he did not assault uh, Sigourney Reaver. I literally wrote that down. She's possessed <laughs> and she's levitating. And I wrote in my notebook as we were watching this, I said, Peter actually doesn't take advantage of her. Like, do we give her kudos for not sexually assaulting a possessed person? Like, <laughs> that's a really low bar. <laughs> you think it's within the realm of possibility, given the character's behavior. I would venture to say that someone even in their 20s would be like slightly appalled that people used to find that funny. Well, he does get let go from the university because he's he's kind of a hack, honestly. They are He's hacks. got a PhD. All three of them are doctors. We're getting into the other characters now, too. We've got Dr. Ray Stance and Dr. Egon Spengler. They're all kind of just winging it. They are know. all winging it, but I kind of find that charming, especially about the Bill Murray character, Dr. Venkman, because he's clearly such a fraud. I mean, he's like you know, messing up his research because he wants to date the student that's in his research thing. And I also like, I think this is what I found relatable about him is that when they do get fired, because basically the university is like, you guys are a bunch of cracks. Like, you know, we're not funding this garbage. And he's just sort of like, okay, whatever, we'll do something else. And there's something very Gen X about it. <laughs> I, yeah, as they were getting fired, it was clearly like, oh, look at this like tightwad dean, this academic, you know, administrative type. But in my adult head, I was like, oh, God, yeah, they're fired. Like, they are the worst. The worst. You wouldn't want to be paying them like, no. to interact with your students and try to date them. Like, ah. So let's get to one of the other uh, total hacks. All right. So we also have Dr. Ray Stance, played by Dan Aykroyd, who is the writer of the script. We also have Harold Ramis as Dr. Egon Spengler, the other co-writer, which this originally did not have the Harold Ramis character in it, but when he came in to do the rewrite, he just wrote himself right into the movie. So <laughs> I'm kind of like, kudos to him. Like, you've got two... They're more of the straight men. I think the Dan Aykroyd character is a little more naive. Like, he's just got this very, like, childish, yes. almost adorable quality to him. Yes. Like, he gets really excited about the fire pole when they go to look at the firehouse. Yes, like, he's... Like, oh, like, what are we getting in this place that's got a fire pole? And I remember liking him as a kid, too, and I actually even thought when I was re-watching this, I'm like, oh, I guess I liked him as a kid because he's very childlike. He's very kid-like. Like, he gets excited yeah. about fire poles and he he nerds out on basically what i'm going to call total nonsense word science like it's total word yeah. salad all the science he and like egon are spouting at each other like it makes no fucking sense um yeah they're but, very similar characters they're the nerds they're not as funny because bill murray's character is 
Yeah, I mean, they're charming nerds. I I find them to be very charming. They're the supporting nerds. This is where I think there was a better upgrade in the 2016 version with Kate McKinnon and Melissa McCarthy, where they they play the nerds. I think they play the nerds. They give them something to do. To me, these characters as an adult, they're, they're great. They're good. And I think they could still resonate with kids today. They just fell a little flat. Like, I think their humor was just a little not really even yeah. there. It was like a little stale. I I didn't take any notes at all on Egon <laughs> the entire time. And I love I love Harold Ramis. But yeah, he doesn't do a whole lot in this movie. I still appreciate, though, that he wrote himself into it just because he could. Like, you want me to help you write? I'm going to be a star. I want to be a Ghostbuster. And then from Dan Aykroyd's point of view, like, I'm very torn on this, but I think ultimately it's funny. The fact that he wrote himself in as getting a blowjob from a ghost. (laughs) What? Oh, yeah. I mentioned that at the beginning. That did not need to be in there at all. But he's just like, yeah, head writer. I get to do this. And like they cast like a Playboy model to be the ghost. (laughs) It's just like... Okay, but that was so weird. And this at this point in the movie, I like clutch my pearls a little bit. I'm like, this I cannot get over that a movie it got away with that and was fit. rated PG. That's insane. And like, yeah, it doesn't fit in here at all. They made the special effects team like figure out how to like hack like his belt coming off with like no. Yeah, so let's describe this scene for listeners who don't remember it. Part of it we got to build around it like the Ghostbusters as they become popular. They do this montage of like wow everybody loves the ghostbusters they're popular on tv shows and casey Kasem's talking about them on top 40 you're just cutting from like crowds cheering and yay they're winning on every front and just this random shot of dan Aykroyd lying in bed with a ghost hovering over him and like the belt is coming off <laughs> cut into this montage like this is their success montage i know and i was like you threw a blowjob in there you what? threw a blowjob in there and then they but they don't just unbuckle they pull down the pants like you see like his underwear is exposed and he's and making then... that facial expression yeah yes. it's like that vince mcmahon meme like oh oh this is where i was like okay they could have just done the belt unbuckling and you sort of get it but it's also just like kind of weird it's it had nothing it's, to do with anything and it's it doesn't just... fit yeah, it doesn't fit the montage because, like, the montage is about how the Ghostbusters are super popular, but it also doesn't fit this whole story arc of we have men who are exterminating ghosts. Like, they're basically pest control. And that they get so popular that one of the ghosts decides to get sexual with a human. Like, that's not been introduced as a possibility before this shot, and it doesn't come up again at all yeah and this is where i guess i'm clutching my pearls a little bit but i think that this is where the movie is just it's just for dudes and that annoys me a little bit dan Aykroyd clearly just wrote the scene because it was like wouldn't it be funny if and it's so but i think it could be funny but he but just to crowbar it in there when it's like has no place is so weird and it doesn't belong in that montage it doesn't belong in the world they're building here and I just rolled my eyes. I'm like, this is so dumb. I, it, it was just a yeah. weird, dumb thing. Go get a real human girlfriend, right? Dr. Ray. I think you have a good point that Egon and Ray, so the Dan Aykroyd and the Harold Remus ca- characters are pretty much the same character. Um, the one funny thing, because Harold Ramis' character, Egon, is a little bit more science nerdy and talks a little bit more science nonsense. And what I didn't remember from Ghostbusters, but I kind of find it funny as an adult, is that like the whole logistics of not just catching the ghosts and busting them, but storing the ghosts is like a whole logistical thing that is actually talked about in the movie and part of the plot to the part of the plot to the point where you get like New York city bureaucracy. You don't have a permit for this kind of thing. And I found that to be kind of funny. Like just the idea of that there might be a bureaucracy around storing ghosts is funny. Yeah. You don't have a permit. Right. So there's these earlier drafts that just Dan Aykroyd did. As they changed it to New York City instead of this fantasy land where it was originally set, one of the older drafts had that instead of storing the ghosts in the firehouse in a containment unit, they had found an abandoned gas station in New Jersey. That's funny. That they were funny. storing the ghosts down there and that that was like a sort of purgatory for Amazing. ghosts from New York were being sent to a gas station in New York. New Jersey. And because New Jersey has those d- laws where you can't pump your own gas, are they like... <laughs> yeah, you'd never know if there are ghosts under the <laughs> gas station. That's amazing. So, yeah, there's like some interesting riffs and like a lot of them, they 
you know, still good ideas, but they threw out because it was like, that's not feasible to shoot. We're under like a time crunch here. Because they also were going to have a bunch of like dead celebrity ghosts floating around at one point. And it was just like, how do we even shoot that? They're using so many practical effects and they're using... We know how you love your practical effects. I do. And this movie had a ton of them. They had to like, they were competing, uh, trying to even get a special effects team to come work this movie. They hadn't finalized the script, so nobody even knew what the shots were going to be. But they managed to pull Richard Edlund off of, I think he'd just come off Return of the Jedi. Oh. They were like very much competing with Temple of Doom and Return of the Jedi. Oh, yeah, because like, those were made to get around their crews, this time. Trying to get their effects. Yeah, like that they pretty much had to like poach people off of those movies to come do Ghostbusters. Um, but the one that made me laugh so hard was, so they have the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. There's an actual person in that suit and he's oh, got really? like different like heads him. with facial expressions. They keep trading yeah. the head out, but that they accidentally lit that guy on fire <laughs> like nine times. Oh my God. <laughs> and they went through so many of the suits and they nearly killed that guy like so many times since he was starring the city. That's funny. And like, then, you know, like, you know, we've got the Ghostbusters in front of a blue screen and then we're putting a mat in between to do the skyline. And then you got your guy in the Stay Puft Marshall, oh like God. stuff like that. I love seeing it all come together. I love hearing that they almost killed somebody. <laughs> they didn't. There's nothing I think that CGI would add too much in terms of effects. I really think so. And having even watched the new one, I think, or one of the new ones, I don't think the CGI really adds to it. Again, if, I think if kids were into it or younger folks were into it, I don't think that would bother them. In some ways, it's like weirdly charming. It definitely dates the movie. Yeah. But they're using old school like mats where they had to like paint the buildings or paint the skyline and stand in front of it. And it's very old school Hollywood because they're, yeah, nothing's computer here. They're really recreating and then like laying the film cells over oh, wow. each other. And it's, yeah, it's old school. For the time, it looks cool. The proton packs are kind yes! of shooting yes! like markers, but okay. The one thing with the proton packs is that the packs themselves are so big. I think a young person today would be like, well, is that just what phones looked like in 1984? I mean, there was a deliberate effort to make you know they're trying to do all this special effects work but at the same time they're aware that you've got these three guys starting a company with no money and they're kind of hacks like there's a scene where i think it's rick moranis his character they're like testing him and they basically have like a metal colander on his head oh my god i found that to be so funny yeah so like stuff like that where if you have three guys who are just kind of hacking it it would be a metal colander with some wires coming out of it. It, <laughs> it would not look professional. It would not look cool. It would look clunky. So I think the same thing with the proton packs. Like it does look kind of like a vacuum cleaner or like yeah. a pesticide spray bottle. Or It's not smooth looking, but it's not supposed to be. So I give them a pass on that. Like I think they do look dumb, but they're supposed to. That makes sense. Um, we have one more Ghostbuster to talk about we here. Do. Although rewatching this i have a lot of thoughts like i from the top love ernie hudson love him as a ghostbuster and he plays winston fantastic he plays winston this character feels like an afterthought yeah like they don't explain why they're hiring a fourth ghostbuster he just shows up for a job interview they don't even talk to him they just go okay cool there's no character development there's no backstory there's no reason for him to be there other than maybe it looks cool to have a fourth person standing there with his proton pack but yeah it just feels like this throwaway half-developed character that came in and i I wrote this down it just felt like somebody as they were like writing the script somebody gave them a note that was like you can't have three white guys this is too white so here wedge another character in there and be more representative like that's what it feels like his character gets developed in the second one a little bit better but like oh my god he just he has nothing to do they don't give him anything to do in this movie so i totally agree it's not necessarily someone slipping a note saying hey this is too white i think this is just what unfortunately happened to a lot of black actors and black characters is that they're just like well we need a fourth so let's fill that slot with a you know a person of color i think that does happen a lot and this happens for gay characters too like well let's just put them in there and like you know and make it more diverse just wedge a random yeah and the actor in there like what yeah they don't really give him much to do at all and 
you know, Ernie Hudson is in a million things. I mean, he had a huge, he still has like, he's like a huge career. So I, you know, good. Yeah. But you know, you could see the range of what he could do. And I, they gave him nothing to do in this movie. Like he's yeah. barely I even, there. I was like offended at the end. They started scrolling the credits and list all three of the Ghostbusters. And then you go through like 20 people. You He's credited in the end below Walter Peck, who played the EPA guy. Like you go through yeah. all these, like this, 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 this the and Ernie Hudson, like, and it's not an Anne Ernie Hudson. It's just like Ernie Hudson, and then on to like the old woman who played the ghost in the library. You know, it just he's not given any credit or respect. I feel like, and he's one of the Ghostbusters. He's one of the like, Ghostbusters. God, but get I, him up there. I think this is just a relic of the time. I'm not giving it an excuse, yeah. but I think it does take away from the movie because it's like that you don't give that person something to do to be funny to move the plot. He doesn't have anything to do, and I think yeah, he has no impact. He doesn't save the day he doesn't have like he gets to yell i love this town at the end of the movie and you're just like why would he say that at this exact moment yeah i don't know like it's just not thought through clearly it isn't it bothered me but i was sort of like what a waste of talent and then yeah in again just referencing the 2016 version which i just watched last night that you know clearly his and they his character or that fourth ghostbuster that they hire halfway through the movie is leslie jones who is in my opinion, one in of the, the most, 2016 version. In the yeah. 2016 version, and, and to me, she's like one of the most talented comedians out there. They give her a lot more to do in that movie, and they made it. Oh make yeah, sense. she's dynamic in that. Yeah, and they made it make sense as to why they needed help or why she would be helpful. Like, and in terms of like filling out their roster, and so that is just I thought a good update on that character for that you know remake, but it did it just fell flat and it was unfortunate. For the original yeah. one, this, this again, this is where the original sort of fades, <laughs> and they're yeah, no, because you've got Bill Murray's the funny one, and then you got two and guys of the nerdy ones, and then you got the other guy. Like the that's guy. the dynamic. Oh my god, he's not he's not the heart, he's not the brains, he's not the you know. I'm going all Wizard of Oz here. He <laughs> does he's not. Does he any have of those... courage, Amanda? <laughs> I don't. I mean, sure, but like not. More I was going with the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I follow. I follow. Like, yeah. No, he, he's just not given anything to do. Yeah. So we've we've talked about the Sigourney Reaver character uh, who plays Dana, uh, but we we've, we've got to talk a little more about her awesome apartment and her <laughs> amazing nineteen eighties hair. Amazing. Her hair is phenomenal. <laughs> she is so rocking the eighties. So she seems like. This character, Dana, is just walking through life, getting hit on relentlessly oh by annoying God. men. Like, I think this is, like, her life suffering. This character was originally written into the script as, like, a model. So it's like, all right, you can see, like, all these vapid men hitting on her for her looks. But Sigourney Weaver came in and was like, no, this character's not a model. She's a musician. She's a very independent woman. She sticks up for herself. So, like, Sigourney brought the Sigourney to this character. Oh, and, and it's fantastic. Absolutely. And she's great in it. She's rocking the big-ass 80s hair. Uh, and I actually think she's a little no-nonsense. I mean, she. I'm just, like, the whole time, yeah. though, I was like, oh, my God. Like, this character just has to deal with garbage men all the time. Like, Rick Moranis yeah. is, like, especially annoying and creepy and then yeah bill murray who i don't find as creepy as you and then she's got friggin gate to hell in her refrigerator so like she's just <laughs> putting up with way more than she needs but to here's me. a question amanda would you be okay with a gateway to hell in your fridge if you got to live in a penthouse on central park west just asking i mean as long as it's like in the listing so <laughs> My expectations are managed. It's in the co-op bylaws. Yeah, as long as there's, you know, like, they're calling it out. Maybe there's a photo of it in the listing. Um, Yeah, this was the best apartment I've ever seen anyone living in in New York. (laughs) so nice that was so my takeaway it was like this is such a nice 22nd floor corner apartment with windows overlooking the entire city and she blows a giant hole through the wall at one point and what a view what What a view and i yeah yeah and you know that it's like some saudi prince lives in an apartment like that (laughs) yeah and like so 1980s too like it's got the floral couches and just the wall-to-wall carpeting and oh yeah but you could 80s that shit up and have a demon in your fridge and still i was like 
this apartment's a great apartment. So, yeah. So, I watched this movie with my husband, actually decided to sit through one of the movies we chose for once. Yeah. <laughs> he pops in and out and makes snide comments about Jessica Rabbit or whatever, but he sat through Ghostbusters with me. And the first scene in her apartment, we're both oogling, like, wow, what a view. Like, yeah, there's a gate to hell, but whatever. And he was noticing when she unpacks her groceries, because she's got some literally deviled eggs that are exploding all over yeah but she's got a big bag of marshmallows and my husband jeremy turned to me and he's like this is like Chekhov's gun but stay puffed marshmallows version oh my god that's so you've got stay puffed marshmallows in the first act you're gonna have to kill the stay puffed marshmallows at the end of the movie i did not good job jeremy that's that's... and then well and then his follow-up comment he was like i don't think it's practical that she would be buying just a giant bag of marshmallows like there needs to be an explanation for what she's cooking with that because she seems like she has good taste yeah stay puffed marshmallows are not good taste that's hilarious. Yeah, you're right. But but you know they kind of yeah. are. They're delicious. I, what I liked about her character is that she does she does move the plot. She's not just a pretty face. She's not just a love interest. She's not a pushover. She's, she notices that the shit's going down in her fridge, and so she contacts the Ghostbusters. She's their first client, and so client in air quotes. You know, so she has some agency. She does brush off um, Bill Murray's character a bit, but then agrees to go on a date with him because I think you know she seems genuinely part, charmed. It didn't bother uh, me. Like that part, I. Felt like she came around too quickly because he is genuinely creeping her out the first time he comes into her apartment. Like, she can't get him out of there quick enough. She was so close to hitting him with a frying pan (laughs) first scene. But then she runs into him outside of her rehearsal one day and is, like, being kind of flirty. And it's like, what has changed here? Because, like, he hasn't. Yeah, he's just so not threatening. He's so funny that I was okay with it. I was okay with her coming around to it. But... I'm I sending the why. Ghostbusters to your place to <laughs> annoy the crap out of you. I'm not going to come around to Bill Murray, but you know, but that does drive the plot because then he shows up when yeah. they have their date. And then we get that whole interaction we had talked about with him claiming it's crowded inside her. And I guess what I didn't like is that all of a sudden, so she gets possessed by Gozar, which is some demon that lives in her fridge. Once she's possessed, she becomes like a horn dog herself. And she's dressed in a silk nightgown and makes out with the Rick with Moranis that one, character. That one shoulder that's exposed right. through the neckline. That was so 80s. It just, But it also read to me as like teenage boy fever dream, which I realized there's yeah. a whole oh God, yeah. cottage industry for that. But I don't really like it. <laughs> when women get possessed... They become really horny, apparently. Apparently. (laughs) According to the Ghostbusters. Yeah. She's not at like a huge level of some of the female characters we've talked about that have tremendous agency, but I did appreciate Sigourney Weaver in here. She was not damsel in distress. And so that she gave his character some She came into this off of like very serious action movies. I mean, she was an alien and like, you know, she was alien before this movie. Yes, it that was, was like 79 or 80. Oh, okay. Yeah, so like she was known as like an action lady, action star, but like, you know, there weren't a lot of action ladies at the time. Yeah. All right, so we talked about Dana. In her possessed building, there's another character, Louis Tully, who's played by Rick Moranis, which I think this is probably the first time we've had Rick Moranis. Yeah, I think he's the first time podcast. he's appeared on this podcast. Yeah. We're going to have so many more movies with Rick Moranis. We are. (laughs) He is playing her annoying, annoying, almost stalker neighbor who is an accountant. And is throwing one of the weirdest house parties ever (laughs) that he hypes up for a very long time. And then when you get to it, he's uh, talking about the cost of salmon. And (laughs) he struck me as a very shady accountant. Like, I mean, he is like definitely working for mobsters and shady businessmen kind of thing again, because he's living on Central Park West. But he's a creep. I mean, he's listening for her to come home so he could like, you know, meet her in the hallway. And to the point where Sigourney Weaver's character tries to tiptoe past his apartment. I mean, he's like super harassy. I really hated his character. And then part of his storyline for folks who don't remember is that he gets possessed by the key master. Um, so he is the key master and Sigourney Weaver's Dana as the gatekeeper have to sort gatekeeper. of meet in order to open the portal where Gozar comes out. He's just such a fucking creep. I I really didn't like him. 
She's not safe in her own building with that guy just constantly watching what she's doing, watching who's going into her apartment. Oh, you want to kill him. He's so punchable. He's definitely punchable. and But in a weird way, he's, to me, more threatening than Bill Murray. Because Rick Moranis presents as such a nerd, I, he just has, like, serial killer written all over his face. It's a little bit more menacing to me, even though Rick Moranis is not menacing as an actor, and he doesn't try to do it as an actor. No, he's... Very dweeby. Super dweeby. dweeby. But I do think that could read today as like, there's something fucked up about this guy. He's got bodies buried in the fridge. Oh, the combo of the way he's acting towards Dana and the combo of the way that Bill Murray's character is acting towards Dana. Like, she's she's got a great apartment. I would just lock myself in it and not come out. Like You'd rather hang out with the demon in your fridge? I'd rather deal with the demon in the fridge. Oh, yeah. He's so annoying. He does throw the weirdest tax write-off party ever, and (laughs) there is a demon dog in his bedroom that he's accidentally throwing coats on. He gets chased out of the building and chased through New York, and nobody has any sympathy for him at all. Like, yeah, let that guy just get, like, eaten or possessed or whatever that demon dog's about to do to him. I was definitely rooting for the dog. You're kind of, yeah, kind of cheering for him to get possessed. (laughs) Yeah, get possessed and get the fuck out. There's a couple other characters we just want to mention. Introduced in the middle of the film, they have the EPA guy, whose name is Walter Peck, which gets a lot of Bill Murray ad-libs at the expense of his last name. (laughs) But he's played by William Atherton. He's one of those guys with a punchable face. Very punchable. Type actor. Yeah, like he's in Die Hard also as a guy with a punchable face. Like he's causing more problems, but he's not the biggest bad guy. When he came in and he's dressed in a very like fancy suit and he's like, I'm from the EPA. My head initially jumped to like, oh, he's just saying he's from the EPA because nobody from the EPA has enough money to dress like that. Like, right? Three piece suit. I thought he was like a spy from like the ghost world or something that was like pretending to be yeah. EPA guy. But it turned out he's actually from the EPA. And at that point, I'm just like. Why is the EPA the bad guy in this movie, along with all these ghosts? They make a classic bureaucrat villain out of him. Like, you don't have a permit to store these ghosts kind of thing. Which, to be fair, they don't. They don't. Yeah, he looks like a villain, though, because at first I couldn't remember the plot. Because I I was like, wait a minute, is there a bad guy here? And I thought that he was going to be introduced as, like, a more nefarious, like, has some bad guy that's involved with the ghosts. I thought he was like a Gozar, like that's what I thought—a Gozar enthusiast. Yeah, yeah and I was that almost he was on the side of the ghosts, and he's not. He's not, and I was almost disappointed because I feel like you could have done yeah. something there. We didn't need a bureaucrat in this movie. No, there's enough going. Not on collecting here. taxes. It's fine. Uh, the final actor I want to call out here is right at the beginning. Our first shot is the librarian going through the haunted book stacks and she's reacting. This is the one that Bill Murray kind of insulted. And I'm going to just keep calling him Bill Murray. Yeah, that's fine. It's sort of like when we called Angelica Houston Angelica Houston instead of Morticia. Bill Murray is Bill Murray in every single movie. Yeah, it's him. It's fine. uh, Bill Murray is Vinkman insults the librarian when he's asking about her period and it's clear she's seen a ghost and then that does and she's also 60 so probably not well i think just like demonstrates that men have no fucking idea how periods work but anyway no so this is alice drummond and the second she came on screen i my immediate thought was she's an ace ventura playing ray finkel's mom is and she? she has one oh, of wow. my all-time favorite lines because she's like so pulled together and like prissy and proper here as the librarian in like her little sweater vest outfit. But in Ace Ventura, she's got that line: "Dan Marino should die of gonorrhea and rotten hell." Did oh my god, that's the line from that. <laughs> that movie. is my favorite <laughs> line from that whole movie, and it's her, and she's she's playing it a little bit straight here but i just forever love that actress just for her appearance at ace ventura like so actually speaking of the library because it opens on the new york city public library very eerie music you find out like there's something going on in the library but i was reading that since this movie came out occasionally people dress up as ghostbusters and just go running through the new york public library not encouraged we're not saying you should do that, but that's kind of funny. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's fun that the New York City Library 
is like clear them to shoot this. Yeah. You want to bust ghosts in our book stacks? Yeah. Go for it. That's We're fun. trusting you, Dan Aykroyd, that whatever you're doing. Well, at least he wasn't getting a blowjob by a ghost in like some book stack somewhere. That's this is better. I mean, they maybe cut that. Scene. Maybe they he probably cut that scene. he probably wrote a whole series of like escalating sex scenes in different locations. <laughs> nope, cut, cut, cut. Yeah. Dan. Oh my god, doesn't make sense. Um. So speaking of, we talked about New York and the New York Public Library, but they had to make this movie so quickly, and they did not pull permits despite all the talk of permits from the EPA guy. That's funny. Um, so a lot of the locations around New York City, they're just doing guerrilla shooting. Get like out of they here. are just showing up, no permits. And there is a scene in this movie where the Ghostbusters are being chased by a security guard, and it's in that montage. But that was actually all of the actors and the crew being chased by the security <laughs> at Rockefeller so Center because they did not pull permits to shoot there. They just showed up and started shooting. Oh, so, my God. That can never I, happen these days. That's funny. It, no, that still happens all the time. Oh, really? Yeah, like, oh, that's yeah, funny. Yeah, like movie producers who are cutting corners and just, screw it, just go shoot it. Yeah. Nice job, New York. Like, sneak attack, Ghostbusters movie. Sneak just attack. shot all over the place. That's funny. So we always talk about things that are kind of cringy. Do you have some things that suck and are, are cringy that we haven't already talked about? So one thing that I that annoyed me, again, I just rolled my eyes, is that at the end scene, the Ghostbusters, so Gozar comes out of the gate, which is unlocked by the Sigourney Weaver and Rick Moranis character as the gatekeeper and keymaster, whatever they're called. So Gozar, the great demon, comes out and they're basically, they, the Ghostbusters, express their disappointment, it seems, in the fact that this all-powerful demon is a woman. Like, they literally say that. Like, they didn't expect it to be a woman, given how powerful and evil it was. I mean, I'm shocked Bill Murray's character wasn't hitting on it, even though it does sound like <laughs> Gollum when it starts talking. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was pretty They're cringe. a bunch of bros a lot of the time. Like, this is a movie for adolescent boys like that's the target audience ew it's a girl demon ew it's a girl demon and that would not land today it didn't land no. with me watching it and i don't think i noticed it as a kid but i did not yeah. like that and you know i i guess i've been clutching in the fourth here. one they kind of recreated the whole aesthetic of that they're doing the key master and yeah. the gatekeeper and it's olivia wilde playing gozar and no, that's fourth fun. one but yeah none of the commentary it's just like oh hey gozar's back <laughs> this is what gozar looks like i found that cringy i think some of the jokes yeah. are dated not just in a gender way but there's a lot of jokes there's jokes about elvis that it's just dated i do think my kids would like the new iterations but i'm fairly certain this movie wouldn't resonate because just because the humor is a little dated so not yeah. that they would be offended. I just don't think that they would get why it's funny. I don't know. And the religious nonsense. So there's a bunch of religious nonsense. Yeah, they nonsense. get very religious in the end of this film. Yeah, there's like there's... some scripture quoted randomly. And not that I'm offended by the religion. It just came out of nowhere. Well, and it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go I mean, anywhere. They, they give it to Winston to give some of those lines. Like, they do. They don't let Winston do anything. And, the, and a bishop shows up in the mayor's office. Yeah, there's a bishop. And then there's like Orthodox Jews outside the final battle scene, like praying. So I found <laughs> like, that part to be funny because, you know, for the religious crazies, or not that rabbis are crazy, but you get you get sort of that component when something unexplainable happens. To be I a just want funny. to clarify, too, that Jess is Jewish and I am not. So she, <laughs> she can make comments about... What the role of an Orthodox Jewish person is outside of a bunch of Ghostbusters attacking a portal like that. There is a time and a place for that. So carry on, carry on. But anytime there's like some sort of supernatural thing, like the religious people come out to like kind of try to explain it. But I, I found I the religious part right. to just be weird. I felt like if they were going to go that direction, they should have been teasing that out earlier in the movie. Like yeah. It does come on very suddenly. It does. And it's like, I feel like they watched Raiders of the Lost Ark and decided they needed some to ground in some sort of religion. And, and I'd say Indiana Jones does it better. <laughs> um, I always call out like product placement. And this is a very 1980s thing. And like, it just is what it is. I guess I can't call it cringy because it's in all these movies, but like, 
they're sitting around drinking Budweiser, eating Cheez-Its in multiple scenes. And there's just, you know, like turn the tab soda the proper direction. And it's just all over the place. But yeah, the product placement just distracts me. The very 80s, like obsession with money. Everything they're doing, they got to cite like how much the bill is, how much it costs, like what the interest percentages on like the but loan I, they took out. I thought that was funny. Winston cites it isn't it isn't like it just it seemed like a lot of just citing financial statistics you know and like the rick moranis character is an accountant so like yeah he's rattling off a whole bunch of financial but i think stuff. he's also a serial killer so whatever he probably was but yeah. like he's doing it at the most efficient cost ratio that he can come up with but yeah. it's 80s but it's not even like i don't even get it was it funny at the time it's just sort of weird that was a little bit cringy and then finally <laughs> The amount of destruction that they cause versus what they're actually accomplishing. Oh my God. They're like destroying entire <laughs> buildings to get a ghost. I mean, you called this out for Indiana Jones, the way like he's supposed to be saving the antiquities and he's like busting through the side of a pyramid. Like every time they go into a ghost busting situation, they end up like lighting the entire building on fire <laughs> I know, total to catch a ghost that probably wasn't doing anything you know like in the library the ghosts literally shush them because they're reading books like they're citing like oh we've built these proton packs and that they're basically like mini nuclear bombs that they're bringing into all these situations <laughs> like they're so much more destructive than anything they're fighting even in the Slimer, hotel they basically yeah, destroy Slimer doesn't need that <laughs> yeah like the, that ghost is just eating things and being gross and uh, and that ghost does make an appearance in future movies but it's and the cartoon show. He oh, that's right. That's right. Slimer. But they basically destroy an entire floor of a hotel to get at this ghost. And there's something yeah. funny about that, but it's also just like, what? <laughs> yeah, you're just like in this ornate hotel, burning holes in the wall. You nearly kill the housekeeper. Like, I know. You nearly what are you doing? shoot at her. Like, it's so weird. Yeah. You guys should be regulated by the EPA because you're just burning things left and right. Like, Yeah, you're a bunch of hack scientists running around with nuclear bombs on your back. Not OSHA safe at all. Do you want to talk about things that are awesome about Ghostbusters? That was a really extensive cringe list. It was, yeah. Let's balance it out. Let's balance it. Yeah, so what was awesome about it, Amanda? I still feel like the iconic moments, the ones that I remembered, you know, the first time they suit up, go down the fire pole, jump in the Ecto-1, like mm-hmm. that, the nostalgia hit me. I was like, oh, the Ecto-1. Yeah. Oh. Like, there's just something fun about watching them drive around with the Ghostbusters theme in the background. The whole scene with the Stay Puffed Marshmallow guy, like how he comes to be, like they have to choose the form oh, of the destructor. Right. They're trying to clear their minds. Dan Aykroyd's character is just fixated on marshmallows and we get the marshmallow villain. I mean, there's a lot of things that undercut the seriousness of being having a whole city attacked by ghosts. Yeah, it makes it like kind of not that serious and it's what it's intended to be which is funny not scary yeah but i also for me what was awesome was still bill murray i mean again i know we've covered this ground but i still found him to be so funny that i was enjoying his character again and i guess i have an affection and nostalgia for the franchise so some of the iconic things yeah i do like almost my nostalgia for it is better than what it actually is and and maybe that's just how nostalgia works, but... Yeah, you're giving a lot of credit to something you remember as being awesome. It's like, yeah. it gets that bump, the nostalgia bump. One other thing I thought was funny, so they shoot their terrible commercials. Oh my God, they look those like are funny. Local. <laughs> but that their catchphrase from the commercials that they carry into the second movie is all four of them looking in the camera and saying, we're ready to believe you, which sounds so <laughs> non-committal. It does. Like, like, that doesn't mean anything. There's just something very funny about that to me. Like, we're ready to believe you, but we might not. Yeah. You might no, just be that's... crazy or, you know, Venkman just might ask if you're on your period or something. Right? But like, we're ready to believe you. Yeah. We might. Well, any closing thoughts on Ghostbusters? Yeah, I'd say my closing thought is just, you know, this is where our memories about the franchise are just better than the origin story. I think that's my closing thought. Uh, It's really light on story development. And, you know, it's a little light on some character development, too. Like you were saying you had no notes for some of the characters because they just don't Nothing on Igor. 
Absolutely nothing. And all my notes on Winston were about how underdeveloped. I guess in my mind, I had fully developed the story and character. And I, I just don't think it wasn't there in the original one. Yeah. So that wasn't, it's not really a closing argument uh, per se for this movie. But no. that's, that was No, but it's overall. an honest take on it. Because, yeah, I was feeling the same way. I had a much fuller memory of the Ghostbusters, but it's definitely because we grew up watching the second movie and not this first one. Yeah, but now I kind of feel like that one might be, I mean, who knows what that, maybe we should Yeah, we don't know if Maybe we should watch it. Um, So any other closing thought for you? Well, so this isn't nostalgia, but just a childhood memory of mine. I had a friend, a guy, who had an older brother, and he used to describe to me how when he and his brother were probably like, you know, four and six years old, that they would pee in the toilet at the same time and yell, don't cross the streams. Oh, that's... We should explain what that means. And I think if folks don't remember... Oh, yeah, we didn't even go into that. I mean, basically the streams of the the ghost packs can't cross. The proton cross packs. Because, it, you know, it doesn't matter. It's a bunch of science nonsense. And then they do it and anyway in the movie. So they do it anyway it's sort of like they can't cross the stream of their proton packs, which I just sound like a, an idiot sound, saying this, but that's it. That but at is, least you're not peeing in a toilet with a four-year-old and a six-year-old yelling yeah, across the stream. So. That's actually really funny though. You could yell, don't cross the stream at an appropriate moment and people would laugh and know exactly what you're referencing. Yeah. And you could even yell who you're going to call. And I think anyone over a certain age and maybe younger people now who've seen the new one. And the answer to that is Ghostbusters. And you don't oh, even have to be talking about Ghostbusters. So there is a cultural language around this that still exists. And I think that's, yeah. I'm not as attached to it as I am for other franchises, um, but it's there and it's, it, there's a fun element in rewatching it. So moving on to rating and for folks who are new to us, what we do is we first rate one to 10, one being garbage, 10 being princess bride. We rate how it lives up to us as adults. And then our second rating, same scale is how it would live up to its intended audience, which is kids today. So let's tackle our first rating. I'll go first because Amanda feels, I feel, I sense some just pondering from Amanda. And yeah, it it's given me a lot to think about. Yeah, I'm probably going to overrate this, but I gave it a five because there is still some fun nostalgia in rewatching it. I still liked Bill Murray, but there's no way I'm going above this because I felt like it, there's a lot of stuff that just didn't land and annoyed me. In fact, now that I'm talking about it, the whole comment about being disappointed that Gozar is a girl I might knock it down to a a four just for that but I'll stick with a five for now I think I was pondering a five or even a 5.5 to be generous you and the has I think this is a five for me as well yeah my memory was that the jokes were so much more piercing and funny and like this viewing they were amusing but they weren't like the smartest things I'd ever heard. And like the characters weren't as warm and fuzzy as they were in my memory. So, so that's a 10 for adult rating. Where does that fall? Each of us on average usually give above a five. So, but you're the tougher grader generally. Okay. You can't change reviews for previous episodes, by the way, right now. Not the time. Not Not the time. time. Yeah. I think this probably below average for us, but that feels right. I think this was a below average on the scale of living up for adults. But so for kids today, and I'd say the intent, I don't know who the intended audience is. I think this might be even for young adults. I think, I think it's adolescent boys. Oh, I but really, yeah, of course it's adolescent yeah. boys. I mean, in that guys case. Guys who can uh, go across the stream in their junior high school locker room. And go have like fever dreams about ghost blowjobs. And yeah, I, I don't even that's know. That's the target audience right there. I guess if that's the target audience, I would have to rate it higher than what I'm about to rate it. But <laughs> Ooh, what an asterisk you put on your rating that you haven't even given yet. Yeah. <laughs> So I do think there's some points here for the franchise. So I should say this rating for kids today is same scale. Just to remind folks, I didn't watch this with my kids, but I don't think this is one that would resonate with them as much. So I'm going to go lower than a five. I would say a three for kids. Okay. I do want to sway your rating here. Okay. You gave Rudolph the red nose reindeer <gasps> 3.5. Oh, God. Think about that. Yeah. I'll give my rating and then maybe come back to you. I'm, Do you want to stand by the three? I'm going to stand by the three. I'm going to stand by the three because 
Reindeer was a cartoon. Okay. We did say, yes, that's like a fever dream for children. Mm. Mm. Okay. Okay. What about you, Amanda? I think I'm going to four. It's below average. Oh, but but we're sort of in agreement. You went. Yeah. It's definitely not for young children. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know with all the superhero movies that are out there today, there's just a lot of breaking down the financing of a firehouse that may not oh be interesting God. to children. Not interesting. <laughs> But so what's our total? 17. Oh, God. 17. pretty low. It's beating Rudolph, barely. And it's beating Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And it's beating Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. But you hated that movie and thought that was terrible for kids. So... (laughs) I actually think this is Which, right. The final rating, other than the numbers, is it has to live up to both of us. It's a yay or nay, and we have to agree. And I think we're giving away the game here. What is it, Amanda? On the count, on the count of the count three, of three, both of us. Ready? Okay. One, One, two, three. No. No. Yeah. I wanted this one to live up. I did. And I was surprised at how little it did. And partly because I was surprised at what movie I was watching because of which one. It was like Ghostbusters 1 versus 2. But it it's just too dated. I mean, it might be a fun rewatch, especially now around Halloween time for adults. I just wouldn't bother showing it to your kids. It's They're going to be like, yeah. why are you showing me this old man crap? I think it's good for nostalgia, but not good for an eight-year-old viewing this for the first time all right i don't think there's many teenage boys listening to us but you know for those listening who might disagree or maybe they agree you know let us know what you think at live up pod on all the socials or at live up pod at gmail yeah let us know what you think we love feedback except for the feedback of women suck then we don't love that feedback uh, Gee, I can't imagine Ghostbusters fans sending that kind of feedback to two women who are talking about Bill Murray in such a manner. That's okay. I'm not afraid of them. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, She's not afraid of no trolls. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> try me, trolls. Just try me. But thanks for listening, everybody.